Welcome to the show Unburden Your Health. Urinary tract infections or UTIs are infections that are caused in the urinary tract, the bladder and the associated organs. More than 60% of women will experience a UTI during their lifetime whereas less than 10% of men and children will also get them. It's when there is some type of an infection most likely it is bacterial but in some cases it could even be fungal and that's the underlying cause for most of the infections that affect the urinary tract to share more insight on this topic i have called on a dear friend and a guest dr anita patel dr anita patel is a seasoned urologist a medical professional with almost 30 years of national and international work experience she has had an exceptional academic record and was a consistent gold medalist throughout her academic life. She is the only female urologist in India with the international FRCS urology qualification. And she's presented several papers at prestigious national and international urology conferences over her very illustrious career. Dr. Anita is also an esteemed member of various national and international councils and societies such as the Urological Society of India, Society the Urology International, West Zone Chapter of USI, Mumbai Urology Society, among others. Welcome to the show, Dr. Anita. Thank you, Sanjay, for asking me to join the show. Over to you. No, I think uh, this is uh, such an important topic and I could not have asked for a better person than you to you know, throw more light on this because we know that UTIs is one of the most common infections in women. However, it is not as common in men. And uh, like I mentioned, you know, that more than 60% of women and less than 10% of men uh, will get this infection. Uh, the prevalence of asymptomatic bacteriuria has been estimated to range anywhere between 2 to 10% in various studies globally. So let me start by asking you, why do you think UTIs are more common in women than in men? So Sanjay, the cause of that is both physiological and anatomical. Uh, anatomical because uh, the female urinary tract opens very close to the vaginal opening and also it is pretty close to the anal opening from where we pass motion. So that area normally is, uh, you know, sort of teeming with microorganisms. Uh, the female urethra is shorter and wider as compared to a male urethra. And as a result, the bacteria find it that much easier to crawl up the urinary tract simply because they are so close to the urinary opening. The second thing is women go through certain physiological changes in their body. Right. Uh, that makes them a little vulnerable, so to say. For example, pregnancy, it's a major hormonal upheaval and uh, uh, the process of delivery, etc. can make a woman a little more vulnerable. Um, sexual activity during teenage years can in some women predispose them, again mainly because of the anatomical causes that I just mentioned. Right. Um, Menopause, that is when the hormones dip suddenly, that is where again the urinary tract goes through changes because of the dipping hormone levels and the friendly bacteria from the vaginal area disappear and the hostile bacteria, the dangerous bacteria find it that much easier to attack the urinary tract after entering it and last but not the least, some of the common ailments such as diabetes, um, which we see very frequently in aging population in our country. Women right. are even more vulnerable to UTI in presence of diabetes because of the reasons that I just mentioned before. So all in all, women are more vulnerable. So I guess uh, so one is like you mentioned, anatomically they are more predisposed. Uh, second is you mentioned because of the various changes in their hormonal, you know, the life cycle uh, from menarche to pregnancy to menopause. Um, I guess that is another predisposing factor. Uh, is there, you know, you know, we often hear that uh, using public toilets, uh, you know, for women especially, 
uh, is a big challenge. Uh, besides the the mentioned, you know, the anatomical and the physiological reasons, are there any other predisposing conditions like that, like the use of public toilets or not? So it's not so water? much the use of public toilets, but yes, using a commode where the seat is not been, you know, sanitized before can be an issue. Okay. Um, the second thing is, uh, especially in India, women have a habit of washing themselves after passing urine. Right. And washing oneself from front to backwards is what is recommended. Some women okay. do land up using a shower spray or a water spray from behind. So it's as if you are using a water spray which is fortified with bacteria from behind, from the motion area oh, okay. towards the urinary area under pressure. Right, and that right. is a complete no-no. So it's not just using the public toilet. But even if the toilet may be clean, some of the habits that some women may have can actually predispose them. But the sure. notion that one use of public toilet and you are going to have a UTI is really not right. Bacteria are not waiting there, waiting to pounce on the urinary tract, you know. They right. do need some time. There are women who tell me that, doctor, I used a public toilet an hour ago and I am in a mess now. No, it doesn't happen like that. You know, it has to have some time period where bacteria will have to enter the urinary tract. They have a certain period where they divide, multiply, grow. All of that takes time. So it can be a predisposing factor and especially with certain toilet habits. Right. So in your experience, I mean, you've had such a vast experience. Personal hygiene, uh, you know, how significant a contributor is that? The major feature in personal hygiene uh, is the cleaning technique okay. and uh, in fact I reinforce with my patients that you don't have to vigorously wash yourself after passing urine, there is no need, you can right. just dry yourself with a toilet paper and uh, the way we clean ourselves after passing motion of course, uh, front to backwards is the correct uh, method of cleaning oneself. Right. What does one do during periods? So, if you are using a pad which you haven't changed for a long time, then that area is going to remain a little damp with microorganisms uh, which can enter the urinary tract easily. So, during periods, particularly if it's a heavy period, then one must change the pad frequently. A forgotten tampon can be a dangerous thing because again that, that is a ceiling around the urinary area where the bacteria can grow. So, particularly during menstrual periods, it is even more important to have personal hygiene. And uh, the young girls of today, they wear very tight-fitting clothes. We are a tropical country and uh, we must remember that the urinary area needs to breathe. And tight-fitted denims, um, you know, snugly-fitting clothes, synthetic underclothes, can actually predispose UTI because it keeps the area unventilated, damp and with a slightly high temperature, all you know conditions which help the microorganisms grow. So these are some of the personal hygiene precautions. Another question asked very frequently is should women remove their pubic hair? And uh, we must understand uh, pubic hair is present in that area to keep our clothes a little away, some distance away from that area so that there is, um, you know, some space there with air trapped. And if pubic hair is completely removed, clothes are going to be fitting even more tightly. And again, that could be a contributory factor. So these are some of the little personal hygiene tips that I can think of which do contribute to development of UTI. Now, thank you for sharing those inputs, uh, Dr. Anita. You know, one common thing that we often hear is about the difference between community-acquired and hospital-acquired infections. Could you just throw some light on those as well so that, you know, the audience is aware that there are these two types of sources of infections as well? So, community acquired is uh, something that all women can acquire at large, irrespective of, you know, their age groups or their susceptibility, etc. Whereas, hospital acquired are infections which are particularly um, present in hospital environment and uh, a patient who is admitted to a hospital is, of course, the one who is more likely to get it and the type of microorganisms also change. 
so the community acquired right. urinary infections uh, normally would be uh, e coli for example the most commonly uh, acquired uh, most commonly seen microbacteria right um, hospital acquired infections the pattern can be bizarre it also depends on what is the person in the hospital for is the person in icu uh, is the person having catheter so on and so forth so are there multiple entry points for the bacteria to enter the body is the host immunocompromised right. due to some reason and the microbacteria may change so the relatively less common bacteria um such as proteus or pseudomonas which we normally don't see in the community community would be e coli and sometimes klebsiella so even unusual organisms can be seen and hospital acquired infections can be a little nasty because if there is a predisposing factor such as say a catheter or right. usage of a diaper in somebody who is in icu till the time that factor is not out the infection can persist or recur so that sure. would become the major difference and uh, you know i've also read that uh, uh, chronic or recurrent urinary tract infections are also fairly common that maybe at least 30% or more of women will get recurrent infections is that true and you know how can you know what is the approach that women can take to prevent recurrent infections so it is uh, true uh, and as you know we use the term recurrent infections rather than chronic infection which we all used to use before and recurrence would mean that uh, the same bacterium or the same microorganism is attacking a patient again so that would be recurrent infections um one thing is there which a, is is there a frequency like how frequently the infections come back every every 3 well, months really, or every not really there is no fixed pattern it varies from person to person but one relatively common cause for that is uh, a incomplete treatment of an existing infection so the bacteria right. persist in the body and then they remain in a dormant state and then they stick their head out during a favorable situation such as say a viral flu which we all okay. know has nothing to do with urinary tract but my immunity is a little low that is the time this dormant bacteria can strike their head out and uh, recurrent infections can be due to either the same organism which has persisted and not left the body or it can be a new organism so it becomes a new completely new onset of a urinary infection what can a patient Correct. do because rather than saying what can a doctor do what can a patient do so the first defense that our body has which is not unique to women it is men and women both is we have urinary bladder as a tank it's like a taki you know of storing urine in the body Correct. we must yeah. empty we must empty the bladder when the body signals us to do that bladder has this unique communication with the brain and right. holding your urine beyond the time when the brain has received the information that it's time to go if you go on holding urine the holding period of the bacteria in the urinary bladder becomes longer and the bacteria right. really need to multiply and their number has to go beyond a certain level before they actually strike a patient so a simplest step is to listen to the bladder and empty it not frequently because if i say frequently there are women who will go every one are saying the doctor has said empty the bladder frequently so right, empty right. it when your body tells you to and secondly to keep the population of bacteria at a low level one must consume enough water so that the urine is dilute and this is like a general advice to men women children because bacteria as i said need a certain level beyond which they start growing rapidly but if that critical right. threshold is not reached a by keeping the urine dilute and b by ensuring that the urine is not stagnant in the body for a long time um these two are the first primary defenses if we follow correct habits we can prevent a new infection from happening and then the other previous hygienic measures that i already mentioned to right. you that sure. uh, you know the technique of washing changing your pads regularly not using synthetic underwear so all of this as a patient sure. one can follow as a part of their day to day life one point that i really picked up is you know 
when your body is giving you a signal to empty the bladder empty it at that time now i have seen yes. i have seen and you know heard also many women as we touched upon earlier that if they don't have a so called in inverted commas hygienic toilet then they prefer not to void the urine and they prefer to hold it maybe till they even come back home uh, yes. you know i have i have seen doctors who work in hospitals uh, that entire shift in the hospital they will not pass a urine because they find that the maybe the environment is not hygienic for them well, what would be your advice in such situations to women so my advice to a patient and my advice to a parent okay my advice to a patient is that listen to your body and don't hold your urine beyond a threshold by which your bladder is now screaming so you may be at work i think if you follow clean habits it's not so easy to catch infection just because you used a public toilet or a toilet which was not into inverted comma as per your specifications of what is hygienic correct as a yeah. parent because in fact this is the beginning of uti in pediatric population very often as a parent we all must tell our kids because the school toilets may or may not be the kind that they're never going to be the way they are at home and they may not True. be up to a certain mark but the child must be told that it's more important to use the washroom when you feel the need to because it is more dangerous to not use the washroom than to use a washroom which may not be spick and span but at least you are relieving your bladder on time right. ensuring that bacteria which are normally present in a very tiny number as we all know they are you know right. kind of flushed out of our system so uh, as a parent because lot of children are told by their parents no 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 don't use the washroom and children develop this bad habit and that is a beginning of an adult uti because of a wrong childhood practice and that in turn right. is because of wrong parental advice so i think listen to the body is the most important thing that's a great point that you have made i think uh, you know if if children are taught at a young age the correct voiding habits um, and i'm sure also maybe you know if the public toilets are maybe the indian style toilets uh the fear of hygiene also becomes a little less i think you know maybe in some cases we find the old indian customs to be still better than you know the westernized approach so to say yeah that is very true but you know we are becoming so westernized that i'm horrified to learn because many of the kid patients that i see they are unable to squat and they don't know what it is like to squat and pass urine so it is so Correct. sad and in squatting position in fact our body is optimally placed in terms of the alignment and the angle of the urethra especially in women and in fact okay. that would be an ideal position to pass urine in what happens when we are sat on a commode is the legs are not widely separated okay because on a commode okay. you can sit like you are sitting on a chair Correct. and uh, again now though we are diverting a little bit from uti in women in children they have a habit they sit down pass urine before it's over they'll just get up and they'll run and in right. all that the legs are close to each other urine is trapped there they've worn their underclothes in a hurry because they want to run and play so such right. kids if they become victims of uti i actually ask them to sit on the commode facing the flush tank okay okay so it's okay. very difficult for them to bring their feet together because there is that you know lid of the commode which automatically correct, correct. separates the legs and ensures okay. that uh, you know they are not going to get up in a hurry the alignment of the legs and the separation is correct and for some people who may not be able to squat any longer but were used to squatting in their young days because indian toilets may not be available as you know right. there is a stool available nowadays which one can place under one's legs while you are seated on a commode and that allows the uh, alignment to be proper both for passing motion right, and right. urine and that can also be helpful in ensuring that the bladder empties completely so common signs and symptoms of urinary infection um is frequent passage of urine with or without burning and with or without urgency normally when we pass urine we go at a fixed interval we don't get pain and there is never any urgency unless we have held urine for some reason in uti right. the bladder 
is helping us in getting rid of the infected urine. So, this is body's defense mechanism which is responsible for the symptoms. So, the right. body is telling us that pass urine frequently because uh, there is something dwelling inside the urinary bladder. The pain right. fibers are activated so that the brain gets the signal that something is not right. So, there is some kind of inflammation and that leads to burning. Burning also means urine is concentrated because right. there is fear somebody who is experiencing these symptoms, they are initially so scared that they don't want to pass urine and they know that the only way to prevent that is by drinking less water. So, it is like a vicious circle. So, you pass a urine right, right. which is infected, which is concentrated, it is producing symptoms and uh, there may be sometimes pain in the lower abdomen. So, this is typically what is uh, described as cystitis in women. Okay. Sure. If the infection is reaching the upper part of the urinary tract, which is the kidneys, the patient can be little unwell. And then comes the right. added symptom of fever and which can be high fever. So, right. uh, a combination of frequency, urgency, burning, dysuria as we call it in medical terms, along with fever and sometimes backache or lower abdominal pain. This is a classic, you know, symptom complex of UTI. Right. And uh, the second question was, can it be asymptomatic and can one have no trouble at all but still have a urine which is showing a large number of pus cells? So, right. uh, that is not so uncommon. Uh, a relatively common real life situation is a diabetic patient who could be harboring urinary infection without being aware of it because a diabetic right. doesn't throw signs and symptoms so quickly and by the time a diabetic patient throws signs and symptoms, she could be significantly or severely unwell. But there is right. another important uh, factor and that is correct sample collection, especially in a woman. And that is again, we are going back to the anatomy. So, the two lips of the urinary area, which are medic in anatomical terms called labia, the two lips should be opened by the person's fingers whilst collecting a urine sample. Then the person right. must wash herself with simple water, no Dettol, no antiseptic, nothing. And then start passing urine and as the flow is established, then hold the bottle in which you are collecting urine across the flow. Now, what does this do? This prevents collection of cells, especially from the skin surrounding the area and the vaginal area in women because there could be vaginal infection and uh, the urine report shows a large number of cells because it is a contamination from the skin of the introitus which is the area surrounding the urine passage or the vagina right. and of course the pathology lab will report what they see but they would not be able to decipher the source of infection. So, correct sample collection is very very important. I think that's a wonderful point that you have touched and, you know, in my experience in the lab, many times we find, you know, a high pus cell count and then when we discuss the report with the patient, the patient says, I'm absolutely fine. And then when we ask the patient to give a fresh sample, but exactly with the instructions that you have just given, a midstream sample, cleaning the area, suddenly we find the pus cell count to be much different than the first sample or in some cases, you know, absolutely normal as well. So, I think sample collection of a urine sample plays such a big role in deciding whether it is truly an infection or not or it could be a contamination. That's a great point that you raised. And also vaginal infection can mimic urinary infection, Sanjay. So, a woman could be having uh, infection in the vagina and uh, in fact, right. she might think that it is UTI. So, this is where a clinical examination comes into play. And some very pertinent question about the lifestyle, sexual activity, etc. will lead us as to whether it is actually infection in the vagina or whether it is urinary tract. Since we touched upon, you know, the, the urine sample collection, maybe we can, you know, continue on that. So, what would be uh, the manner in which you would assess if a patient has a urine infection? One you mentioned is doing a urine routine examination for, you know, whether, whether there is a pus cell count or not. But if you could throw more light on what would be the way in you would assess uh, confirmation of a urinary tract infection? So, the first step is to talk to the patient and it goes right back to their childhood though that is not what the person is expecting you to ask. They want treatment for their UTI but I am right. looking for susceptibility 
and yes there are certain types of uti which are actually genetically transmitted because some women have urinary bladder lining which attracts e coli okay, okay. so e coli find it easy to stick to such urinary tract and that property is very often hereditary so even though you may okay. be following all hygienic things a patient will often say yes i know i did have it as a child or you know my mom had it so on and so forth so i want to know about childhood um history if available and in my questioning i'm going to delve on all the questions such as has there been a recent sexual activity or where when was the period or are you pregnant or are you already menopausal all of these are little leads okay right. and also i want to know about diabetic status and then of course once my history is complete i'm going to examine the patient to know is there any local pathology so uh, i'm going to do a good vaginal examination check for any telltale signs of vaginal infection and once i have done that i'm going to ask for a urine report and i also in certain age groups i'm going to ask for a sonography so when am i going to ask for a sonography so those women who have had repeated infections or have unexplained pyuria as you mentioned that everything right. is clean sample collection is clean but there is definite pustules and the patient says i have no idea why this is happening so now i want to know am i dealing with a urinary tract which is abnormal so this is a little different yeah. from simple straightforward uti so i'm looking for causes now and because my simple tests are not telling me i'd like to do a sonography and in a selected uh, number of patients i would like to check if they are emptying their bladder completely and i may want to check their flow pattern so these are some very simple opd based tests none of them are invasive but they give us a huge amount of information right and in which cases uh, would you recommend doing a urine culture so a fresh case first urinary infection no past history doesn't really merit uh, i have seen presence of pustules in the urine the patient's symptoms are matching i'm going to put the person on uh, a standard antibiotic and now what's the standard antibiotic so most commonly used will be an antibiotic called cephalosporin there is a broad group several drugs fall into that this is of course right. oral and i might also use one of the older drugs which is uh, cotrimoxazole still available in Septa. the market septran bactrim they are brilliant right. they are cheap and they are very eff efficacious and nitrofurantoin available by multiple names in the market neftran neftas urifas nefotin right so this is what covers the most commonly known microorganism so let's say i have had a one off infection and i have been treated of that and thereafter i'm fine there is no need really for a culture test so we formulated the guidelines for urology society of india on urinary tract infections and the consensus okay. was that the first uti one doesn't have to really go and rush and do a culture but i do right. want to know a culture if uti recurs whatever be the reason because now right. i'm looking for why it is recurred which microorganism which antibiotic do i need to give and how long for so that is when there is right. a very de definite role for culture do you find i mean since you know urinary tract infections are so common and you know treated by almost all types of doctors do you find cases that come to you because you are at the apex of such cases uh, you know that there has been a lot of misuse of antibiotics and you know you find that you know when you do a examination or a culture that you find a resistant pattern in in many of the drugs that have already been used so your experience on you know antibiotic drug resistance and what would be your advice to people on preventing misuse of antibiotics that's a very pertinent question sanjay because uh, we are an interesting country where medical care is not so freely and universally available so we see extremes in our country we have the best of medical care and we see the worst scenario also so right. as a result some people run to the family doctor with a uti and without any further evaluation an antibiotic will be prescribed okay i go back to the family doctor again another antibiotic will be prescribed and there is a far more rampant use of antibiotics in our country 
and that right. is because we don't necessarily it's not binding on us to follow a certain guideline pattern okay so we just use antibiotics and now that does a lot of collateral damage a that makes the bacteria resistant bacteria start uh, eating the you know antibiotic and develop a defense which is unique to that antibiotic right. so now subsequent culture is going to show that uh, this bacteria no more responds to that and it is resistant uh, right. also the antibiotics we consume randomly are sometimes self used by the patients so i am a patient right. i know i had it last time i know my doctor prescribed this so i keep an extra stock and next time i am struck by the same uti if i use that antibiotic without medical advice which is a far commoner scenario in our country right i am going to be abusing the antibiotic and without realizing i'm abusing my body also because i am creating a population of bacteria which are now going to thrive very happily in my body and they are resistant to that particular antibiotic i consume right. the antibiotic and a lot of that antibiotic is now excreted in my urine and stools that enters the drainage system that enters the soil that enters the plants now see this is the collateral damage okay right, right. and it produces a breed supporting breed of microorganisms which are all resistant to that particular antibiotic which i have used unnecessarily and i am contributing Correct. to spreading resistant batch of microorganisms by you know unscrupulously consuming antibiotic let's put it that way sure. so that's a complete sure. no no so correct use of antibiotic when required and for correct duration of time should be the mantra so be guided by correct uh, treating professionals and self treatment is not a good idea right i think you mentioned uh, right in you know sometime back about septran and nitrofurantoin which are still even when we find culture reports in many cases even in esbl producing organisms we find these two um, antibiotics still work very well uh, you know I, but i find that most uh, clinicians tend to avoid using these uh, and you mentioned that i think these are still very effective maybe you could just throw some more light on this that why is it that people are averse to using nitrofurantoin and septran and straight away you know looking at prescribing higher antibiotics so a fancier antibiotics first of all they are more expensive okay and uh, some of them may require a parenteral use as against that these antibiotics the two that we are talking about they are patient friendly they are cheap they are easy to use and uh, uh what should i say they have a very broad base and have been in existence for a very very long time and they right. have not been the primary antibiotics nowadays prescribed by the family doctor and as a result the bacteria will be resistant to commonly prescribed antibiotics such as for example cephalosporins or quinolones you know norfloxacin ciprofloxacin norfloxacin being the common exactly so yeah. they are the ones that the bacteria know and they are resistant okay i mean these are covid times we have seen how rapidly the covid virus has changed itself yeah Correct. so the same thing Correct. the bacteria change they undergo mutation they develop certain defenses that is their survival instinct isn't it so the bacterium right. is going to develop resistance against that antibiotic if it is used rampantly and hence now we are turning to our good old you know which were thought to be historically significant those uh, antibacterials which seem to be working very well and it's still not right. very common to develop to see that much resistance as you rightly mentioned to cotrimoxazole or to nitrofurantoin yeah one of the things that you know we as a lab want to promote is you know we know that uh, pharma companies uh, most of their investments generally go into chronically used uh, drugs whereas antibiotics have a shorter shelf life so the discovery of newer antibiotics is far less as compared to lifestyle disorders you know like for cholesterol or for hypertension or for diabetes so i know that the spectrum of antibiotics is fairly limited so i guess you know preventing the misuse is perhaps the best way to make sure that we don't develop the resistance 
you also mentioned about you know that uh, people get recurrent infections because uh, the infections are improperly or incompletely treated so what does that mean really is that that you know people stop the antibiotics midway through the course uh, you know maybe you could throw more light what exactly is improper or incomplete treatment which causes recurrent infections so the correct duration of antibiotic uh, treatment for uti is 5 uh, days okay now if you go through guidelines there will be guidelines which will support usage for 3 days there will be guidelines which will say usage for 7 days but a golden right. mean 5 days seems most appropriate um in some patients first of all there is a tendency that as soon as they feel better they may not complete the course which is something dangerous and a relatively common cause for persistence of infection um, the second cause could be the environment in a patient's body is more conducive to developing uti and when a specialist comes in the picture this is exactly what he or she is going to pick up that right. this is an individual who's not that typical five day antibiotic course and end of dangerous story it's not like that in some people right. due to whatever reasons maybe their bladder is at fault maybe they have uh, urinary calculi or maybe they are diabetics or maybe they have a catheter you know now we are in a slightly different uh, area of uti but all of right. these would mean that such a person is more likely to develop repeated bouts of infection also the causative factor could be every time sexual activity for example in a young person who may be perfectly fit and healthy if that is leading right. to repeated utis then i'm going to follow tell the person to follow a cleaner sexual practice or to be careful sure. ensuring that she empties her bladder after sexual intercourse and in some people we actually recommend a single dose of an antibiotic immediately after intercourse in order to prevent okay. a new infection from coming back again and again so sure, uh, sure. it's not just the duration of antibiotic which i mentioned is for 5 days but who is the patient what is their lifestyle are they following all the other advices and are there Correct. any other comorbidities such as diabetes menopausal state or presence sure, of catheter sure. stone etc now these are all great points you know and i'm sure people will take a lot of benefit from it but you know in your experience uh, there must be some cases which you know despite best efforts develop complications uh, so what are some of the common complications that you have seen or can happen because of you know utis that you know are not properly treated or incompletely treated so lower urinary tract infection that means repeated bouts of cystitis if it doesn't reach the kidney apart from producing nuisance symptoms to the patient it doesn't do any other harm okay right. but if the infection reaches the upper part we call it nowadays lower tract and upper tract so upper urinary tract right. infection which would mean um infection in the kidney the term we call pyelonephritis that is dangerous right. because each bout of infection has the potential to damage the kidney by development of a right. scar in the kidney so repeated sure. bouts of infection especially in pediatric practice in little girls can actually lead to development of a scar in the kidney and that is a nasty complication of uti in some patients due to repeated infections they develop a certain type of stone in the urinary tract and those are okay. triple phosphate stones okay right so just as stone can be a cause for an infection in a patient stone can be the result of an infection also so repeated okay. infections can lead to development of infective calculi and these are called as triple phosphate calculi and in fact this right. is the group where apart from treating the stone we are very keen on keeping such patients on long term antibiotic therapy in order sure. to uh, prevent repeated infections so a scarred kidney what will it do so repeated infections and a scarred kidney definitely has a potential to lead to eventually kidney failure and that would be a okay. dangerous situation but i want right, right. people to understand that lower urinary tract repeated bouts very very rarely leads to a serious uh, outcome but upper right. urinary tract infection even two or three bouts are bad enough because that can lead to scars 
and secondary stone formations, etc., etc. So that is dangerous. Sure. Yeah. You know, we spoke earlier that most of the infections are caused by bacteria and E. coli, Klebsiella being the common ones. Are there, you know, in your experience, cases like which are due to fungus or maybe tubercle, bacilli, any other non-commonly, you know, uh, say the non-common bacterias, uh, what other causes of infections have you seen and, you know, what should people be aware of? So, repeated infections, uh, which I can't explain in somebody who is otherwise healthy, I'm going to look for a cause, as I told you. And right. uh, in our country, there are two things that I'm going to look for. One is a diabetic status, right. after having confirmed that the urinary tract is normal. And second is, I'm going to specifically ask for history of tuberculosis. Because again, right. we do have a very large number of tuberculosis patients, lung TB. But uh, lung TB can be a beginning of urinary tract tuberculosis. And sure. unfortunately, even now we see almost about 5 to 8 cases per year of genitourinary tuberculosis, you know. Right, right. And that is not a very nice thing because if it is not detected, it has tremendous potential to damage the urinary tract, both at the level of right. kidney and it can damage the urinary bladder which due to repeated infection, in fact, becomes small and scarred and we call it a thimble bladder. That's like an end right. stage of genitourinary tuberculosis. So, how do I diagnose that? So, if somebody repeatedly gets symptoms of infection, but the urine culture is sterile, that means I'm seeing pustules, right. but the culture doesn't grow any conventionally known bacteria, then I'm going to suspect right. that this could be tuberculosis. And as you know, the... Um, the acid fast bacilli unless we have to ask for unless we ask for it as a clinician a routine urine test right. is not going to look for tubercle bacilli and the culture of tubercle bacilli right. as you know the conventional method is long but if i don't ask for a culture which can take anywhere up to six to eight weeks in the conventional culture methods uh, right. with rapid culture methods we can get the diagnosis relatively quickly but we have to ask right. for that so as a clinician i have to suspect that if I can't explain the UTI, I want to rule out, especially if the urine is acidic and sterile. So, that would be for tuberculosis. Again, tuberculosis sure. could be more rampant in diabetics. Okay. Talking about right. diabetics, the fungal part, that is colonization of urinary bladder due to fungus, is seen far more commonly in diabetics or in elderly right. people, frail women who are bed bound, maybe using a diaper, where genital hygiene, they depend on a caregiver to clean them. All of right. these could lead to development of fungal infection in the urinary tract. And again, one has to suspect. So, a routine urine report may simply say that there is a presence of fungus. Now, we don't know if that fungus sure. is in the urine or collected from the vaginal area. So, that is Correct. where I might want to collect a catheter sample of urine to okay. uh, look for that fungus in the urine collected directly from the urinary bladder. So, fungal infection, right source, yeah, yeah, the fungal infection relatively uncommon, but uh, not a rarity in diabetic or elderly, frail, hospital-bound patients. So, we right, have to right. be very um, vigilant as a clinician in requesting these tests. Sure. Of course, now with the newer tests, you know, the Gene Expert Ultra test, uh, you can get a a TB report within few hours now actually so you know thankfully technology is allowed from six to eight weeks to you know the wet cultures which is two weeks to three weeks and now the gene expert you get it on the same day so you know I hope you know that we don't need to put those tests to use but if there is a need we do have tests available for that um, <clears throat> you know you mentioned about of course treatment with antibiotics but are there any natural treatments you know we always hear about cranberry juice, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, things to make your urine more alkaline, uh, like you mentioned, drinking more water. So, any natural treatments that you can, you know, recommend, maybe throw some more light on those? So, yes, there are simple home remedies. One is, of course, to drink water so that you keep the urine dilute. Second right. is to change the pH of urine. So, an acidic urine is favored by bacteria. So, I would like to right. change the pH to alkaline. 
So there are various right. proprietary solutions available which make the urinary pH alkaline. A simple limbu pani with addition of little bit of soda in that can be a very simple home remedy, you know, to keep the urine alkaline. Sure. You, you asked about uh, cranberry juice. Yes, cranberry juice definitely has protective power. It has a certain um, chemical in that which is proacanthocyanidin. And that in fact uh, makes it more difficult for bacteria to enter the lining of the urinary bladder. Okay. So okay. it prevents okay. something like a shield, something like a face cream with a sunblock. So, okay, you know, okay. so the sun rays are no more penetrating or the extent of penetration right. is reduced. The cranberry juice extract can achieve the same. The caveat of this is that the amount of cranberry juice I will have to consume to attain that appropriate level in my urinary tract will be very large. And commercially okay. available cranberry juice is always mixed with other juices, as you know. So, right, we need right. to really need, drink a huge quantity of that. Instead, in appropriate circumstances, we do prescribe cranberry juice as a capsule form. So, which has its okay. active form combined with another agent called D-mannose. And D-mannose along with the cranberry juice extract available as a capsule, there are multiple preparations available in the market. And that right. can make the urinary bladder more uh, hostile. That means it fights the entry of bacteria. So, in a way, yes, cranberry juice can help if taken in appropriate manner and appropriate um, preparation. Definitely. Correct. And no other home remedies really. You know, people will ask, no, I soak dhanajira powder and then I do falana. All of these are okay. making ways of making patient drink more liquid. Eventually, it all boils sure. down to consuming more liquids. Uh, Sar things, so avla juice, kokum sarbat, limbu okay. pani, barley water. What is the purpose right. of all of these? A, they make the water more palatable. You know, to go on drinking gallons of plain right. water can be difficult. Yeah. B, all yeah. of them have the property to change the pH of urinary tract. And so it ensures that the person consumes the right quantity and makes the pH right for the body and wrong for the bacteria. So, all of these are right. home remedies that definitely help in reducing the severity of symptoms. And of course, following clean habits, I mean, we discussed that at length initially, right. which as a patient I must right. do. So, I prevent Correct. an infection. I think one of the lessons we've all got from COVID is, you know, how to make our, our bodies healthier, how to prevent an infection, how to improve our immunity. So maybe, you know, before we end, if you could just maybe highlight a few tips, uh, like you mentioned about hygiene, uh, you know, about emptying your bladder on time, uh, about drinking adequate amount of water. But are there any other tips that you would want to tell people which could, you know, make them more uh, or less prone to urine infections or improve their resistance towards urinary infections? Because we all realize that, you know, prevention is always better. Uh, so any, any, any small tips that you would like to share with people? So, apart from what I have already mentioned, I think it's it behoves that I take care of my body. I can't expect right. a doctor to every time come up with a magic solution or a magic pill. So, if I don't look after my body, then I'm going to have all these maladies. So, adequate hydration every day. In fact, uh, that is right. one question we didn't address. How much water should I consume? And my right. patients right. invariably ask me, that, uh, you know, is one liter enough, is five liters too much, etc. So, drink lots of water. Nobody defines what is lots of water. So, depending on your profession and your environment. So, if I am a professional in an AC environment do, doing mainly desk job, sedentary work, about one and a half to two liters is enough. If I am a student right. who is on the run, on public transport, running around in hot weather, I want to make sure right. that they listen to their body, listen to their thirst and drink water when body tells them that they are thirsty. If I am a laborer, I am a civil engineer, I am an architect, I am out on the site, then I am going to sweat that much more. I am a farmer, right. then I need to replace that. So, adequate water intake is something most important. Also, vitamin C in various forms and we discussed all the SAR things. 
So vitamin C right. is this wonderful natural remedy which gives a strong immunity against so many things. And that is available on the house. Why are we running in the market? So good right. old lemon, amla, you know, kokum, all of these are available in everybody's house. Right. And also avoiding constipation and right. eating healthy food to avoid loose motions also. Because right. colonization of that area is what leads to or excessive growth of E. coli in the perineum. So if I'm right, having right. healthy bowels, I'm going to have a healthy urinary tract. So all of these are simple things. If I'm a diabetic, I must keep my sugar under check. If I have a family history of diabetes, I must make sure that I take that much extra precaution to walk every day or to maintain right. my HbA1c within the stipulated range so that at least from my side, I'm doing everything possible to prevent right. a UTI. That, that is what I would summarize. Yeah. One group of women that perhaps don't get enough attention as much as they deserve is the, is the menopausal women. As you mentioned that, you know, that, you know, with the lack of hormones, there is a change in the support of, you know, the urinary tract. So is there anything that uh, women who are perimenopausal or just, you know, recently becoming a menopausal, anything that they can do in terms of special exercises or anything else to, you know, ensure they don't develop urinary tract infections? So one thing that menopausal women need to do is to get a regular checkup done uh, to really know is the genital area undergoing certain changes, you know, we call them atrophic right. changes because if right. it is happening, then such women may need a local hormone cream or if there is as a result of atrophic changes, if there is development of fungal infection, then that can get promptly right. treated so that that area is not harboring infective organisms. Okay. Sure. There is an area of overlap in menopausal women now that you mentioned, and that is there is another condition called overactive bladder. That means having to go okay. frequently to pass urine, frequency, urgency, with or without leak. So right. we call it OAB dry or OAB wet. They don't have painful urination. They don't have fever. But sometimes symptoms of OAB are assumed by the patient to be due to UTI. Okay. okay. So this is where you will have reverse of what you just described. That is urine completely normal but symptoms suggestive of UTI. So such a person could okay. be actually okay. having overactive bladder. And the incidence of that right. is way higher in peri and post menopausal age group. And these women okay. need to be seen because there is so much that uh, there is a lot that we can do for overactive bladder and what they really don't need right. is an antibiotic. So menopausal sure. age group need to be seen. We need to rule out overactive bladder. We need to rule out atrophic changes and we need to right. doubly confirm they are not turning diabetic simply by virtue of becoming menopausal. Some sure. women develop changes in the urinary uh, passage, the urethra which now is no more that elastic. So as a result, the Correct. urine flow is hampered and their urine flow slows down and they may not empty their bladder completely. So sure. again, that is something which predisposes to development of UTI. So menopausal women need that extra attention. And if each right. of this is looked into and when required topical hormone cream for a period as short as two months, sometimes up to six months, does wonders right. in long-term prevention of repeated UTIs. Now, this has been, you know, such an enlightening uh, conversation. But before I end, I wanted to ask you, and I know that I know your family so well, and, you know, music has played such a big role or continues to play such a big role in your life. And I know people, when they listen to this podcast, the idea is, you know, there's a huge burden on our healthcare system. And the idea is to make them unburden this burden on our healthcare system. What are you doing for yourself particularly to unburden your own health? You know, we all are, we, you, know, you have such a busy practice. You are a wife, a mother, a daughter, uh, you know, a very successful medical professional, uh, you know, a, a singer, a host. I've seen you in so many different roles. How are you taking care of your own health? So, um, as you said, the lockdown actually made us aware that we are responsible for our body, for our health. We are right. what we eat. And so 
for me adopting a very healthy lifestyle as a conscious decision happened in last two years we all believe that we do everything healthy but are we really doing so are we particular about right. our eating times so i think i became a little more aware that i must eat at fixed intervals and uh, yes i do drink water more consciously now which i wasn't really <laughs> doing before we take our body for granted and a young body copes with a lot of nonsense and abuse by the person whose body it is so right. eating and drinking at the right time and uh, i've become a little fussy about my daily walks which i wasn't so particular about and forget right. the 5000 10000 i don't count i make sure i go every day i think that is more right. important because that fresh air the outdoor right. walk uh in that counting one can get lost and the purpose is to you know soak in the environment take fresh air and sure. uh, i think we must realize that uh, kal kisne dekha hai live for the moment <laughs> right you know right. we uh, no, the covid covid was bad some of our colleagues passed away when we least expected them they were leading very healthy life so right. uh, you never know what's in store for tomorrow but live today to the fullest i started writing down something on a daily basis okay okay uh, you okay. wouldn't believe uh, i learned this from my father and that is a wonderful way i feel i don't know if research has been done in that but to delay the onset of diseases such as dementia and alzheimers i'm developing a habit i'm trying to develop a habit where at the end of the day i recall everything that i did from morning to evening okay wow. and if i jot down even 20% of that i think i'm right. programming my body into developing a system because sanjay we don't even remember phone numbers nowadays because everything correct, is on correct. that little uh, personal servant that we have which we have outsourced all our doing so again mobile usage i'm trying to reduce now i may sound very preachy but if i do 10% of this and i i'm trying to do at least 10% of everything that i have said and follow a passion so as you rightly said um three three f words this may sound very uh, very dirty but my f words is friend family food and uh, <laughs> i'm very particular about having a bunch of buddies around me because that keeps right. me mentally healthy family i'm willing to do anything for and food i'm very very fussy about so i love to cook right. and i cooked up a lot of things courtesy youtube um, right. and i realized that lot of chutneys and uh, including the podi chutney which i thought i thought it was some magic potion which is required till i learned how to make it and now my family we are all having home cooked podi chutney so lockdown has opened our eyes to a lot of little little things but the mantra is we are learning to live our life as best as we can and as fully as we can right um make the most of the time that you have no i think these are uh, such great tips and you know not just for yourself but for all of us to imbibe you know the thing that i picked up is writing something called as a gratitude journal that there is something to be grateful for every day and you know you know we should we should just look at when we chronicle our day you know write the things that we are grateful for you know we are all living uh, leading a blessed life and i think we should be grateful for that and i know that uh, the next podcast is not going to be on anything scientific but it's also also going to be on food because i think that's a again i think a common intersection between you and me music and food are two common interests for the both of us so i look forward to catching up with you on music and food but thank you sure. again for spending your time today and this was this was an amazing conversation and i'm sure people are going to take immense benefit from this so thank you again thank you so much sanjay for inviting me i enjoyed answering all your questions i hope i have answered them up to a certain mark at least and uh, thank you so much for a lovely time thanks thank you and that's a wrap for our episode today thank you so much for listening new episodes are out every alternate tuesday if you like this episode don't forget to subscribe to our show you can listen to our show on all major podcasting platforms like google podcast apple podcast and wherever you listen to your podcast form if you are an apple or an ios user you can share your ratings and reviews on the apple podcast app 
If you have any questions related to health or would like to share your feedback, you can reach me on my social media handles at Dr. Sanjay Arora on LinkedIn and Facebook and Dr. Underscore Sanjay Arora on Instagram.